Good afternoon, everybody. It is Mike Banner. It is Monday night at 7 o'clock, and we are here for our latest episode of 62 Who Knew. And it is a very special day for us today. First of all, of course, I want to thank last week's guest, as I always do, uh, Mr. Mark Goldberg. Every time we bring Mark on and talk about long-term care, uh, the reaction of our audience um, is, is just incredible. We get new audience viewers, we get questions, and of course, Mark brought up that in the next few weeks, uh, the long-term care world is going to be introducing some very new products that are going to have a uh, pretty staggering effect on America. And with longer lifespans, the very essence of the 62 Who Knew television show, uh, they're going to announce that when I say they, uh, Mr. Mark Goldberg, Mr. Peter Gelbwax, uh, possibly Mr. Bill Comfort. Uh, and several other giants in the long-term care insurance world are going to be guests in weeks to come here at 62 Who Knew uh, to tell us about what is happening in the long-term care insurance world. And I think you're going to find it very interesting. So as always, just a so again, thank you to Mark Goldberg for being our guest last week and making the show as uh, interesting as it was. And um, as always, just a quick synopsis of what 62 Who Knew is. So... All people that approach retire, every generation, bar none, always has the same hills to climb, the same obstacles in front of them as they approach that age of 62. My dad, his dad, your dad, their dad, your grandparents, his grandparents. It's always the same as I approach 62. Should I be taking my Social Security? Should I defer it to a later date? How long really should I be working? Um, when will I be able to quit? Have I saved enough money? Should I have worked harder to retire my mortgage? I have no mortgage. Maybe I should. I would have more money. Do I have long-term care insurance? Do I have enough life insurance? Uh, do I have accident and health? I'll be working well into my 70s. Everyone has the same questions. It doesn't make a difference who you are unless you're in that top quarter percent of the world and you're retiring with literally millions in the bank. What is different about my generation, the baby boomer generation, I'm a few months away from being 61, our generation is facing a slightly different obstacle than any of, the pre pre of our predecessors. And what is that obstacle? Longer lifespans. It simply cannot be argued that over the last 20 to 30 years, medical advancements, scientific research has come so far that our lifespans are longer than ever before. Our lifespans are even longer than some of the greatest experts 30 to 40 years ago even projected they would be. So who knew at 62, you like that? That's where the name came from. Who knew at 62 that you had better than a 50-50 shot of making it to your 90s. And you really have to let that sink in. You're in your early 60s and you have a 50-50 shot of making it to your 90s. That means half the time you've been here, half the 60 years you've been here, you still have another 30 years to go. And again, we get back to statistics. Less than 1% of this country is prepared financially to live that 30 years in quality. And that's what this show is about. We approach topics like Social Security, long-term care, uh, annuities, reverse mortgages, health, different diseases that are plaguing our seniors from 62 and above. And we're very happy to say that our audience is not just 62 and above. Our audience is ranging really from 
the upper 40s to the 80s, and it's growing. But that's 62 who knew. Thank you for being here. Uh, we're only 38 weeks old. What is this week, 38 or 39, John? Oh, my tie's not good. Nobody told me my tie's not good. Okay, they're week 38, and uh, we've had some incredible guests. And tonight is absolutely no exception to that rule. And we get to do something very special tonight because it is the first time ever that our guest is a relative of mine. And, oh, I did forget to say something. If you'll notice, my co-hostess with the mostest, the Puerto Rican princess, who's usually right here on my right, Ms. Nada Cerrito, is not here tonight. She is moving. Nothing is worse than moving in my book. Um, so we wish her luck as she's out there packing and doing her thing and getting ready to move into a new beautiful home. And we miss her and we'll see her next week. But back to tonight's guest. Tonight's guest, you know, almost everybody we bring on, I know in some way, shape, or form, even if it's just through business um, you know, channels. And even people that, I, that are new to me, I'm introduced to so they become guests on the show. Well, I'm lucky enough to know this woman uh, for the last 20 plus years. Uh, her name is Mrs. Laura Banner, and uh, she is part of my family. That's not a coincidence that she has the same last name. Um, and before I get to what she actually does, no, I'm not bringing her on just because she is a relative, I do have to tell you, <clears throat> as you are all going to agree with, I don't always say things that you all agree with, but I'm going to say it now. You know, you can't always pick your relatives. That's a saying that I think every person has said at a Thanksgiving or some sort of holiday dinner as you look around the table and go, my God, you just can't pick your relatives. But if I could pick my relatives, I would have picked Laura. This is a... Uh, just a wonderful, warm human being, an incredible mom to two daughters, an incredible wife to my cousin Bob, and as you would figure, somebody this incredible with this warm of a heart, what she does for a living also touches people and uh, reaches out in, in a very special way. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of Laura's background before we welcome her on the screen. Um, this is by her own words. By training... Laura is a certified family nurse practitioner. By passion, she is a dementia advocate. Because she is aware that dementia affects the entire family, she has uh, focused an approach to treating those patients. Additionally, she is a certified Alzheimer's and dementia care practitioner. This training helps her because she is aware of the dementia effects in the family it's just amazing what she has seen in the hospital. I'm going off script here. She has told me many things when I visit, uh, when I visit her and Bob in Georgia. Um, she guest lectures to graduate students in the nurse practitioner program at the University of North Georgia and to the phys physician assistant student at Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. She has spoke around the country about this, um, and it's just an incredible, incredible topic. Um, because Alzheimer's, dementia, however you want to put it, they're related in some ways. Laura's going to explain that better. It's going to touch everybody in the family, and uh, it's a hideous disease, um, and Laura gets to see this uh, firsthand a lot and has developed a uh, compassionate way of dealing it. Um, so without further ado, let us welcome Miss Laura Benna. Hello. Hi, Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I wish, sometimes I say I wish that uh, my guests 
were here sitting next to me, but actually I wish that uh, I was up there with you because <laughs> I love being up there with you guys. <laughs> You'll have to come see us soon. Oh, there's no doubt about it. So welcome to the show. The first banner to ever be on the show on that I'm side honored. of the camera. I am honored. I hope I can live up to that introduction. That was quite phenomenal. Thank you very much. Um, and thank you for inviting me to be on your show. As you know, um, your audience doesn't know this yet, but I am absolutely passionate about this disease, the impacts that it has on the person who is suffering from it, and the ending implications to their family, their caregivers, their community. It's, it's absolutely tragic. So anything that we can do to raise awareness is a good thing um, until we find a cure. <clears throat> talking and keep it on everyone's radar. So again, thank you for having me on your show. It's absolutely our pleasure. So I'm going to ask you, though, the first question that I ask all guests, no matter what their level of expertise is or what their topic is, and I'm going to have to ask, um, what brought you, I mean, you have 20 plus years, <clears throat> you know, in the medical field, what brought you to this specialty of Alzheimer's dementia? Why, why did you lean so heavily towards this? So I certainly didn't plan to end up where I'm at, but I'm glad I'm here. Um, I started as a registered nurse and I was a high-risk labor and delivery nurse. I did that for years and years and years. And then I reached a point in my career where I said, I want to go back. I want to get more education. I want to be a nurse practitioner. So going from being a labor and delivery nurse to going and really relearning everything, every disease process, A to Z, but in a completely different way where I'm actually now the provider was quite a journey. Um, when I finished my program, I went ahead and I interviewed around. Prior to graduating from my NP program, I worked for Medtronic, which is a medical device company. And I represented a device called Deep Brain Stimulators. And that is a therapy that is commonly used for essential tremor treatment as well as for Parkinson's. Now they have other indications for it. So during my time there, I was introduced to the world of neurology. So when I graduated from my NP program, it was just a natural to go out and see if there were any opportunities in that field. So I was fortunate enough to join a group that I am still with. I still do clinical practice and I've been with them now for just about nine years. And we're a general neurology practice, so I work in the hospital, I also work in the clinic, and I see patients with any type of neurologic issue, anywhere from migraines to ALS and everything in between. And during my clinical practice, I was seeing a lot of patients for memory concerns. And some of it is related to a type of dementia, and some of it was actually dementia mimics. Nonetheless, they were suffering from memory problems. And as I would see these patients, especially with a new patient appointment, um, we're fortunate in my clinic. We're able to spend an hour as a new patient consult, and that wasn't enough time. So trying to get a history, do an exam, do a chart review, talk to the family, talk to the patient, and really get a global understanding of what's going on and perhaps what's causing their memory problems, um, the hour flew by. And in addition to that, what was becoming quite apparent was that the family members were uncomfortable bringing certain things to light, maybe reporting some of their observations that prompted the visit out of fear for um, embarrassing their loved one, perhaps angering their loved one, everything you can imagine. I mean, just imagine yourself in an appointment with a loved one, 
having to talk about things you've you've witnessed and concerns you have. It's one thing if the person who's having the memory issue is aware of it and they're there willingly. But a lot of times that's not the case. Oftentimes the person with the memory issue has absolutely no insight to the fact that they are having memory problems and they're quite angry about being there. So over time, that evolved into a passion for me. I started a support group that I co-chair with a social worker at my organization. Excuse me, we've been doing that for about two and a half years. We meet monthly. And it's an opportunity for family members, caregivers, anyone but the patient, unfortunately, we don't have that forum yet, um, to be open, to say how angry they are, to say things they're not comfortable saying in a clinic setting. Um, the first appointment is an hour and every appointment thereafter is 30 minutes unless something comes up and we have to extend it. Imagine what it's like living with someone with dementia. Um, the day in, day out struggles you have. You yeah. wait for that appointment, you get there and it flies by and it's That's never it. enough time. And then the next thing you do is you put on your calendar the next appointment, which may be three, six, nine months out. So you need to manage between those two appointments. And it's a lonely place to be. It's a place where most people who are caregivers never went to medical training. They are not in the healthcare. And overnight, they need to be an expert. They need to be our eyes, our ears. They need to help us evaluate what's going on. They may or may not have a job. Um, this is certainly a full-time job at some oh point my, in the yeah. process. So I became so connected with these families from you know, diagnosing what we call a dementia mimic, which I can explain, you know, in just a I bit. You saw I wrote that down when you said it. I was, I've never heard I, that term, dementia yeah. mimics. So whether it's a dementia mimic or if this is end stage, people need guidance. They need someone that they know they can pick up the phone or shoot an email to who cares, who is going to be there for them, whether it's to be a sounding board to help them talk through a situation, because I'll tell you, no two people have the same journey. Yeah, there may be some commonality, but like a lot of disease processes, the journey from A to B is never the same for two people. Cool. And so it's difficult. Um, so out of that, I started doing lectures. I went out into the community, tried to educate people. It is a topic. What I found is that once people hit about 50, from that point forward, we're all forgetting. I mean, that's just natural. That's natural aging process. But you forget something. That's for sure. Forget something else. <laughs> and it's a very common thought to say, oh, no, is this the beginning? Is this that slippery slope? Where is it going from here? Now, factor in that you may have a family member who has dementia. So now you're thinking, I've got it in my gene line, and I'm starting to forget. That anxiety causes more problems. So education is powerful and going out into the community and addressing people's concerns, answering questions, being a resource, it was a groundswell. Um, I couldn't give enough information. If the talk was 30 minutes, it needed to be 60. If it was 60, it needed to be 90. There's such a hunger for this information. And although on the internet, if you know what you're looking for, you certainly can find information, but trying to sort through all the terminology and make it make sense and make it apply to your situation, you really need some handholding. And also so. finding it on the internet to me is one thing. Talking to a human being you know, that actually cares, that's a totally different world. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I can give you a, an example. I have um, I have a family member. I have a website that you had referenced, and that website is a resource for people. So this family member of mine was was concerned that maybe they were experiencing more forgetfulness than would be expected for their age. They went through my website and became really concerned because they identified with a lot of what they saw. So they picked up the phone, they contacted me and said, what do you think? Well, I'm a little too close to the situation. You know, you, you don't have the, the advantage of not knowing the individual. So your, your judgment is slightly tainted. Absolutely. Uh, but I was able to go ahead, walk them through the process, put them in touch with the appropriate uh, resources to get evaluated. Fortunately, it came out that, in fact, it is not dementia. It is a dementia mimic. So that's a good thing. Again, back to that dementia mimic. Um, but yeah, if they didn't have someone they could reach out to, how long would that person have gone through thinking, you know what, I've got it in my family. I'm having the signs. Can I tell you the sheer panic that set in was so concerning and, and just so unsettling. Oh, yeah. I can imagine the pure fear and Absolutely. panic of even just think, thinking that to me. I've always thought that it's kind of crazy. You know, you go for a test on anything, God forbid, mm -hmm. cancer, whatever. And they go, right. okay, we'll let you know in five days. And I think to myself, what a terrible five days. Yes. But dementia or Alzheimer's, to think for a certain amount of time, um, you know, that that could be happening to you until you find out the answer, that is pretty much pure hell. There's no way yes. to get around it. Completely agree. Completely agree. Bob must have been worried to death. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to do it. I know he's downstairs know. cursing I, I me right now, but I had to do it. Okay, sorry. So he would be a good example of a mimic. <laughs> <laughs> but so what ended up happening is I still see general neurology patients, but my passion is with dementia. So what I did was I scaled back in my clinical practice to go off and do this on my own. And there is the birth of compassionate education. It is all about helping people understand what's going on, educating them, um, giving the information they need when they need it, providing different courses that they can attend so that they can feel empowered, so that they don't need to wait that three, six month period of time to go ahead and get a neurology evaluation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate that a lot of people never even get to see a neurologist because a lot of providers, primary care internists, feel comfortable managing um, dementia. And so they don't refer them to a neurology specialist for a more in-depth evaluation. And again, I just want to inform people. I want to be that resource. I want to be that go-to person right. that can help them through the journey either Yes, in fact, you know, this is what you've been diagnosed with. Let's help you through the process or good news. It's a mimic and we can go ahead and change directions and you can do better. Wouldn't that be incredible? Um, you know, I, 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 a lot of us, you including, uh, and so many people watching, as you know, I was a fairly serious caretaker, you know, for my dad the last 12 to 18 right. months of his life. But dad did have his wits about him. We laughed. We joked. We watched NYPD Blue. We watched NCIS. Um, and I know you watch the show a lot. When Mark Goldberg is on or Bill Comfort, uh, the first time Mark was on, and he brought out statistics of how many people 
um, where the caregivers actually oh, predecease yes. the person they're caring from from the stress of taking care of them. But so, I, I, I would have to think the stress of taking care of someone um, with advanced dementia or Alzheimer's, uh, I don't know if I can imagine that, you know, to look at a loved one and have them go, who is that? Or have right. their grandchildren, you know, walk into a room and have them not recognize them. Um, it, they it's talk an, about, it, it's unbelievable. Sorry. No, it's just, it's, yeah. it's an unthinkable thing. So they talk about dementia being the disease of two deaths. The first death is when the person forgets their loved ones. And so the pain that the family experiences seeing someone who resembles a loved one, but that person doesn't know them. And then the death the second time is when they actually pass. And it is a disease of complete personal betrayal. Yeah, Your, your body really does... Um, not recognize anything and it's cruel it's um it's cruel to the person who's going through it it's cruel to the family who has to watch it and we need to do better so the cdc comes out with the top 10 causes of death every year and recently um the statistics have been released and of the top 10 causes of death Alzheimer's, not to mention the other dementias, but Alzheimer's is the only one that had a significant rise oh. by 145% between 2000 and 2017. It has more deaths attributed to Alzheimer's, again, not the other dementias, than prostate and breast cancer combined. There is no cure and there is no prevention. And as you said in your intro, this is a disease that knows no boundaries. Oh, yeah. 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 They don't stay so, away from rich people. It doesn't go towards this class or this absolute, religion. It just is an yeah. equal opportunity yes, um, offender. Yes. Yes, it is. Absolutely. So people need to understand what they can do. There are things that they can do to reduce the risk factors. Um, they can keep their mind active. So it's very important to constantly challenge. A positive stress on the brain is a good stress. Mm -hmm. So what I tell people a lot of times when I'm seeing them in consult is think about two individuals. Think about the person that was working their job, couldn't wait to retire, said as soon as I you know, complete my career, now it's my time. Now I'm going to pursue all the interests I have. I'm going to learn new things. I'm going to go on vacations. I'm going to explore. I'm really going to live on my terms. Now compare that person to someone who says, I've punched the clock for years and years, decades and decades. Now I'm done. Now it's my turn. And I choose to sit on the couch and relax. That's mm -hmm. what I choose to do. So you have two people in retirement, one is changing course by pursuing things that they're interested in. Mm -hmm. The other person says, hey, I've earned my time to do nothing. Absolutely, and they have. Absolutely. Here's the problem. The person who sits on the couch, even though they've earned that right, they are no longer causing positive stress on their brain. They are not stressing their mind. So the connections in their brain start to weaken. And over time, they lose these connections. You take the person who goes on their vacations, they're learning new hobbies, they're active, they're retired, but they're still active. They're going to do much better. Now, the end point is going to be the same. If they are both predestined to develop Alzheimer's, they both will. 
neither the activities nor sitting on the couch is going to stop that from happening. The difference is the cognitive reserve for the person who is active will keep them functional much longer. That makes We're, sense. Yeah, so the person sitting on the couch, they may start having problems much earlier. I hate to make such a simple analogy, but you know, the well-oiled engine is gonna go longer. There's no Absolutely. way to get around it. So I want, this hour, you're gonna be so surprised, flies by so quickly. Um, and I, I do wanna ask something that I okay. think most people are just confused at. There's dementia, there's right. Alzheimer's, um, and then quite frankly, I mean, we fool around about it, you and I and, and Bob, but I'm you know, 61, or I'll be 61 in a few months. I'm forgetting things. There's no way to get around it. I'm repeating myself when I hope I don't, but I do. Um, so there's also a certain amount that, of memory loss or cognitive loss, whatever you want to talk about it, as you get older, that's just natural. And I think we went through a phase, or maybe the country is still in a phase, oh, grandpa's forgetting things, he's got dementia. That not necessary, or it's the first stages of Alzheimer. That, so that isn't necessarily true, is it? Correct. Because it, it scares the death out of me. So give us, if you could, the difference between dementia, Alzheimer's, and just being 80, 85 years old and maybe not quite remembering you know, your first grade teacher's name 75 okay. years ago. So think of it this way. Think of dementia as an umbrella term. It is just a, a word that means abnormal memory loss, okay? Okay. So let's, for just a moment, replace that umbrella term with cancer. So here you have this, this term up here, it's cancer. And underneath this umbrella, you have all the different types of cancers. You've got your breast cancers, your prostate cancers, your colon cancers, your brain cancers. Hmm. Well, they all have abnormal cell growth in common, right? Yes. But breast cancer and colon cancer don't act the same, but they're both cancers. So now let's take out the word cancer and put in the word dementia back on this umbrella. And underneath this generic term, you've got Alzheimer's, you've got vascular dementia, you've got Lewy body dementia. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Got... Vascular, I've heard of. What did you just say? What's the next one? Lewy body. Lewy body? Lewy body. What is that? So Lewy body is a fascinating type of dementia. Lewy body is probably the most difficult of all the dementias to get diagnosed with because there is fluctuations in your cognition. So this is the person who, from moment to moment, hour to hour, goes from being completely lucid to completely confused. They can have a completely normal conversation with you, and then out of the blue, they're saying something that you're just thinking, where did that come from? So Lewy body actually has these fluctuations in cognition. It also has a um, hallmark of hallucinations. Now, most people, when they hear the word hallucinations, they associate it with something frightening. Surprisingly, most hallucinations are not frightening. It's just their perception that something is there that no one else sees or hears. Mm -hmm. So with Lewy body, that type of dementia, characteristically, they will have hallucinations of small children and small animals. Wow. So Lewy body are these protein deposits that with a Parkinson's patient is 
is concentrated in a certain part of the brain, the substantia nigra. Lewy body has those proteins dispersed throughout the brain. So that's important to know because a Lewy body patient will often look like they have Parkinson's. And at some point they may develop Parkinson's, but it is not Parkinson's related dementia. So there's a spectrum. If you have the memory problem first with the fluctuations and the hallucinations, that's Lewy body. A few, a few years later, they may be diagnosed with Parkinson's. If they were first diagnosed with Parkinson's and then as that disease progresses, then they start to have the memory problems, that's Parkinson's related dementia. Got it. So very famous person who was diagnosed with Lewy body, Robin Williams. Right. So he really brought that to the forefront. You know, the disease really um, kind of hit everyone's radar. Recently, Ted Turner actually came out and said that he has been diagnosed. I didn't with know that. Lewy. Yeah. Um, so Lewy body is a fascinating type of dementia. Unfortunately, it's kind of like paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, you know, the kind of AFib that comes and goes with no predictability. Right. These are the patients, the Lewy body patients, family recognizes something's not right. They bring them in for an evaluation. They score great on our memories. Everything's looking good, yeah. Absolutely. We say, you're doing great. We'll see you in three to six months. It's like going to the dentist. It's like going to the dentist and your tooth stops hurting. Exactly. Exactly. Then there's the vascular dementia. Mm -hmm. So vascular dementia is truly the only one that we can see and diagnose on imaging. It is caused by poorly controlled blood pressure, poorly controlled cholesterol, poorly controlled uh, blood sugar, and untreated sleep apnea. So what happens, any combination of those affects the, the blood flow to the brain in the small, small vessels. So when we look at an MRI, we can see it on a CAT scan, but it's really so much better on an MRI. What we see is brain tissue that has been affected that is no longer viable. So when you have a confluence of it, instead of just a little bit here and a little bit there, you have a lot of it in the brain. That's a lot of brain tissue that's no longer working. Mm -hmm. And as a result, that person may move slower. They may have some hallucinations, not necessarily small children, small animals. And it is more of a constant instead of that fluctuation in cognition. But we can look at imaging and we can assume by what we see that that person has memory impairment. I never knew anything. I never knew there was any uh, yeah. branch of this that you could see on a scan or an x-ray. So the reason that people confuse Alzheimer's and dementia, I believe, is because of all the dementias. The most prevalent is Alzheimer's. Two-thirds of all individuals with a type of dementia have Alzheimer's. Now, what we know is over the course of years, it is quite common to develop a secondary type of dementia. So you may have someone who initially was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and as time goes on, they may develop a vascular type of dementia. That is called mixed when you have two different types. So it is so important to go and be evaluated yes. early on. Um, again, is it a dementia? Is it a mimic? If it is a dementia, we need to understand which kind so that we can treat appropriately. And as we're going down that course, as new symptoms develop, that perhaps we don't anticipate with that type of dementia, mm -hmm. it 
raises some red flags that something else might be going on. And maybe we need to go back to square one and do another workup to find out what else is going on. I can just imagine the the breath of relief of you telling a family, you know, what you feared is, you know, what you feared is the worst really and truly is a, for lack of better words, an after effect of not controlling your diabetes, your cholesterol, yeah. your lack of sleep. We fix those things and don't worry, you're not, you're not heading down the road to but Alzheimer's. You know it's got to be I such a relief. I get it, the chills it, just saying it and I don't even, yeah, yeah, that's incredible. News. I tell people, you know what, this is great. I wish I could tell everybody this because we can't get back any memories that the person didn't have from, but from that point forward, we can improve memory. So let me tell you what those dementia mimics are. Yeah. Dementia mimics are things that affect your memory on the outside. It can look like you have dementia. Your short-term memory is impaired. Long-term memory is never impaired until late stages. So it's always short-term that first is the issue. So it's someone who maybe has some word-finding difficulty. You know that the expression, it's on the tip of my tongue, I can't find the word I want. Or all of a sudden you're in the middle of a sentence and you lose your train of thought. Or you go through motions and people say you did that, but you have no recall of it. All of those things can be affected by dementia mimics. So dementia mimics are things that impact your memory that are not caused by dementia but look like dementia. Mm-hmm. But once treated, memory improves. Right. So sleep apnea. If someone is not getting good sleep, they, they are asleep, but they're not getting to those restorative levels of sleep. The brain doesn't get to be refreshed. Mm-hmm. So your cognitive reserve is really reduced. So you can't create those new memories. You can't lay down those memory tracks. So you're not able to remember. Anxiety and depression. This probably is what I see more than anything else. So I'll talk to people and I'll say, are you depressed? No. Well, maybe they're not admitting it, but maybe they don't recognize it. Right. Maybe they've been depressed for so long that they don't know any different. That to them, this is normal. Yeah, I know people like this. They don't think Absolutely. they're depressed, but to me, they're depressing from the time they get up till, the, till they go to exactly. sleep. Exactly. Now, think about this. Have you ever, I mean, I know you do public speaking, so perhaps you haven't experienced it, but I'm sure you've witnessed it. You're talking to people, and you're talking about your favorite movie or a restaurant or a person that you're trying to reference, and you can't think of that word. You can't think of that name, or the other the other person can't, and they're stressing, and you can just see the pain that they're going through trying to recall what is it that they're trying to say, and they can't, they can't get it. Yeah, you know, but sure yeah. enough... About a week later, maybe even just a few hours later, it pops in their head because they're not stressing about it. Yeah, I wish I could say that doesn't happen to me, but it does. Um, You know, we laugh about it. We all laugh about it in the family. We really do. But it does. It really and truly does. Um, Exactly. You know, I could be in the middle of a of a speech about you know the use of equity and and you know during retirement and and just go look at the bird (laughs) and just yeah and we laugh we laugh about that but it actually does worry me i know uh it worries a couple other people in the family too when they see me do it you know sometimes i lose the word and it does come right back um you know it's worrisome and there's no way to get around it yeah so we talked about what dementia is we talked about the mimics. Now, let me address what is normal 
aging forgetfulness. Yes, senility, which is what everybody called it, what, 30 years ago when we were kids. Grandpa senile, don't worry. Yeah, we don't use that term anymore. Good. Um, So what we call it is normal aging process. So what we know is that brain maturity happens at about 20 years of age. Frightening. (laughs) True. Yeah, really. So from that point forward, we're all losing a little bit of memory. Wow. What we can do to hold on to it or to slow that down is by being active, being cognitively, mentally active, being physically active to improve your blood flow, Um, staying on a regular schedule as best you can, getting good quality sleep, eating right. All of those things are important for brain health. So when people forget, where did I put the keys? What did I walk into this room for? What was I just talking about? That's not concerning, especially if it comes back. That's reassuring. The fact that it comes back, even if it's next week, that is reassuring. You're not just trying to make me feel better here? Promise. Okay. So even, even the person who walks in the room and says, why did I come in here? If they can retrace their steps, even if it doesn't completely trigger the memory, but if they can retrace their steps and have some recall, reassuring. Really? So it's okay to forget. What you want to feel really good about is if cues trigger a memory, don't worry about it. And if it doesn't, as long as it's not interfering with your quality of life. So dementia would be memory loss plus. That plus is something that affects the quality of your life. Got it. All right. I got to ask a couple of questions because it's just, again, it's amazing how time is flying. But this one... I got to ask it. Is there a certain type of person that's more at risk? I mean, let's take a person like myself who's a public speaker who works with numbers all day. In my mind, I would think my mind is staying active and I'm less at risk than the person on the, on the line at the factory that's, that's doing this. Is there different people that are at more risk or does this disease just pick you? So, yes, there are risk factors. So, like I had mentioned with the vascular dementias, the person who is not attending to their health, who's not eating well, who's not getting good sleep, um, who maybe has blood sugar that is fluctuating, they are at greater risk of developing a vascular type of dementia. Um, Women do, unfortunately, get this more than men. I didn't know that. Yes. Um, So, but... Really, there are no boundaries. Now, people ask me commonly, what if there's someone in my family? Do I have a better chance of getting it? That was my next question, yeah. Okay, so people are familiar with, you know, the ancestry DNA studies and um, 23andMe. So what those are, they are checking for something, the APOE3. So that is a genetic marker. And I caution people. If you take those tests and it comes back positive, it does not mean you are destined to develop the disease. Mm -hmm. It means you may. It is not with certainty that you'll get it. So really, really be be cautious if you opt to go ahead and take those tests. Um, It does not predict if you're going to have early onset dementia. And early onset is is defined as earlier than 65 years of age. Unfortunately, you find that when families have an Alzheimer's type disease that has 
presented earlier than age 65, there is a good chance that that may be in the family line and you have a potential chance of developing it. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. an automatic. Right. Um, it is not carrying the same type of affinity like hypertension does. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents had hypertension. I have a good chance that I'm going to develop hypertension. Right. right. But yes, you have to be aware what your family history is. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that for the people who are diagnosed later in life, later in life being whatever we want to call that, in their 80s, right? they progress slower. So I might see someone that I diagnose at 85, that when I see them at 89, they really haven't had much change. Mm -hmm. Compare that to the person who maybe was diagnosed at 65. I see them a couple years later. Big change. They probably, yeah, they probably have had a faster decline. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, um, there's just so much more to talk about. I always say this to a lot of my guests, you know, you're going to have to come on again um, because uh, the time just flies by. John, can we bring up Laura's website? Can we bring up the website if we can? Tell us a little bit about Compassionate Education. Uh, I know why you started the company, but if you want to go into that a little, I think your, uh, your bio in the beginning, what you told us, you know, answer a, a little of that question. But if people want to go to your website, um, which is... Um, www.compassionateeducation.com. Is that correct? Yes, uh, it is. All right. Um, What are they going to find there? Why are they going there? What should they do? Okay, so I'm really excited. We just launched the new website today. Um, So this is a site that is intended to be interactive. Um, My previous site was a good resource, but it was not built with the capacity of being interactive. And what I mean by that is what you'll find on the site, you will find a blog. So I am constantly updating different things, um, different things I want people to be aware of, different um, topics of concern. You can click on the first page where it says latest news, and I am constantly changing out um, articles. So it could be talking about research that has just come to light. It could be talking about medications. Perhaps it's talking about pet therapy. Um, So you always want to go back in and check on the latest news. There is a section, and I'm really excited about this one. It's called Dementia Gripes. Um, So Dementia Gripes is something that I started on my Instagram page. And what it is, it's observations. It's things that make you scratch your head and go, why? Um, And you'll see that I spelled it with a Y. My mother was appalled. And I said, (laughs) I know, it's supposed to be an I, but it's a Y intentionally, um, just kind of playing on the why is that. Right. Um, You know, I started Dementia Gripes with this one. Why is it that people speak to people with dementia as if they were deaf? That is They're, so true. That is so true. They talk louder. Exactly. Because they don't understand any better when it's that much louder. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just different observations. So if you're on Instagram, it's always in my story, and then it gets archived after 24 hours into my highlights. Mm-hmm. And then we update it on the website. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about Dementia Gripes. There is a tab underneath Dementia Gripes called Share Your Story. 
And that is not live yet, but it will be in the coming, hopefully, next week or two. So this is going to be the interactive part. This is going to be where people can go in. They can upload a picture of a loved one. They can share their story. Um, They can just say, hey, I hate this disease. It's awful. And feel like it's safe to say it because the loved one they're caring for doesn't hear it. And so there's no guilt for expressing how they feel. so that will be a, a, a new addition. Um, hopefully, like I said, in the next week or two, really excited about that. Absolutely. Um, we have, I have a page there where it shows different PET scans, what a normal brain looks like, what one with mild cognitive impairment, which is oftentimes, but not always the precursor to a dementia versus an Alzheimer type brain, what that looks like. Um, then there's another section, just an FAQ and it's, you know, the basics, what people want to know, the things that I'm asked all the time, what's involved in a workup, how do I prepare for a workup? Then there's going to be a video tab that, again, will be coming up hopefully in the next few weeks. It may be more along a month from now. So I am starting a video series. Good. And the videos will be an opportunity for people to get more information. Um, maybe they have a loved one or personal concern about dementia and they want to be informed they want to know more than just what's on the faqs so that will be available soon so i encourage people to check back frequently for that what Um, services because we're getting so short on time what services do you specifically offer if there are listeners right now going oh my god this is me this is my wife this is my husband it could be mom or dad you know Right. What What would you offer them? What, what going to this website? What are they going to do? They're going to contact you. What should they do yes. if they want to speak to you about a loved one? Okay. So, in this capacity, um, I am a nurse practitioner, but in this capacity, I do not diagnose. I do not prescribe. Um, I do not treat. Mm-hmm. But I can guide. I can offer information. I, I just again cannot diagnose someone or tell them what they need to be doing, but I can give very um, generic information and on some occasions a little bit more specific, but again, I cannot be their provider through this website. Um, So this is an opportunity where what they can do is reach out. We are offering uh, consulting services for caregivers. Good, good. They will be able to go ahead and subscribe to the video series if they would like to. We're going to be offering webinars um, that people can subscribe to. They can go ahead and put their email in and they can receive uh, frequent uh, newsletters from Compassionate Education. We will be offering a course for businesses to be dementia friendly so that they can go ahead and recognize that there is a significant population out there, whether it's the caretaker or family member or the person with dementia, who they are consumers also of these businesses. But it's very important for businesses to understand the specific needs of that population. So they can contact Compassionate Education and go through the training course so that they can be dementia friendly and certified as such. Um, They can also go ahead and they can contact me. I am available to go out and to do courses to do um, lectures. I do that frequently now. And so really, you know, we we have a host of services that we are offering. Let me ask you a question. One of our um, consistent uh, guests on the show and one of our sponsors is um, Home Instead, 
which yes. is the largest uh, non-medical in-home care company in the country. And we just love it uh, when Colin Castle is on. Do in-home care people, specifically non-medical, is training on Alzheimer's or dementia, you know, on a whole as an umbrella figure, as an umbrella term, is that part of their training or does the in-home care world need to be trained more on this particular topic? They need to be trained more. Um, I think they do an excellent job. All you know, home caretakers do an excellent job. But if you think about it, they're in the trenches. They are. They really first, are. They need to pick up on the slightest change because what I tell people all the time is what is not normal with dementia is a sudden change. So anytime that there is an overnight change, person was you know being able to do their what they call activities of daily living, their right. bathing eating, dressing themselves, suddenly they are so confused they cannot do that. That is not normal progression of the disease overnight. So until proven otherwise, you have to assume it's infection. And the eyes of the caretaker is the first line of picking up on that because the earlier you can treat that person, the better they're going to do. What I tell my patients is my goal is to keep you out of the hospital because every time you go in the hospital, unfortunately, when you come out, you are going to have a cognitive decline that you probably will not fully recover from. Right. Early intervention, just like with dementia. Again, we don't have a cure. We don't have a prevention. But early intervention means early treatment. And the earlier we can get things started, the better the person does. As with so many other diseases. Well, I know you watch the show a lot. And I'm not sure if you watched the two shows uh, in the last 38 weeks that the Weizmann Institute from Israel was on. Um, but, you know, one bright spot in this very dark world of Alzheimer's is that a cure um, is forthcoming and not decades away, um, not even a lot of years away. I've been assured uh, by, by people in the Weizmann Institute. Um, they're in their trials right now. They're in human trials in uh, certain parts of the world. The FDA is not allowing it here in America. I do say we're going to have a show one day about the FDA and how difficult it is to get uh, things done in America. Um, but be that as it may, um, a cure is forthcoming. Um, that's great news. Um, it really and truly is. But it's not tomorrow, and it's not six months from now, and it's not a year from now. And even when you have the cure, I, I would seriously doubt there's reversal. Uh, like you said, once memories are lost, I'm, I'm assuming that once we have this cure, um, the impairment will get no worse. Um, maybe the next time we have the Weizmann Institute on, we'll beam you in as well. Um, I would love that. You know, I want to I want to say one fact, um, and this came out through the Alzheimer's Association. And again, we talked about the different types of dementia. So this spe uh, specific statistic is only about Alzheimer's. Every 65 seconds, someone in the U.S. is being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Ugh. Every 65 seconds. That doesn't account for the other dementias or the people living out there without the diagnosis, but that clearly have it. That that's. Just unbelievable to think of. Right. right. I'm just, I got to write that down. That is just unbelievable. Isn't it? I mean, you're talking about a person a minute. Yeah. I mean, 60 yeah. people an hour. 100 plus people diagnosed in the U.S. every day. 
with Alzheimer's. So they estimate right now that 5.8 million people in the U.S. are living with Alzheimer's and that by 2050, 14 million people will be living with this disease. Well, let's hope, let's hope the Weizmann Institute wipes it way out before then. That would be fantastic. Uh, but even 5.8 million, if you right. asked me to guess a number, I probably would have guessed above a million, but I don't think I would have come close to 5.8 yeah. million. Unbelievable. And with only a few minutes left, I'm, I'm assuming this, but it could be wrong. If you do want to go to a doctor, if you have a fear that this is starting in you or, or for someone that you love, that would be a neurologist? Is that the doctor? Yes. Yes, and I tell people, remember, there are dementia mimics. Another one I didn't bring up is B12 deficiency. A lot of vegetarians out there. So I understand the paralyzing fear of going through the evaluation. But until you go through it, you're assuming you have it. You may not. Yes. And the stress of assuming you have it could give it to you. Yeah. Uh, that, that's an exaggeration, I know. But no, but it, it certainly can make everything worse. No. There's no doubt about that. Well, um, you know, I always thank my guests, and we have about three minutes left. So I do thank you for being here. You do thank have to come on me. more. You wrote uh, eight, you know, we had eight questions. We only got through three or four. So you do have to come back. I am serious about two things. A, maybe bringing you on the next time we do have the Weizmann Institute on. You'll be able to ask a lot more educated questions than I would. Uh, that's number one. Number two, when I get to the office tomorrow, um, I want to make an email introduction to you, uh, to Mr. Colin Castle um, from home instead to see if possibly you can help that company with training for this. Um, what else can you think of? Anything? How long we got left, John? About two, three minutes? Two minutes. Can you think of anything else that we can cover in less than a minute? Because I need a minute to say goodbye. No? Anything you can think of, Laura? Just tell people, go to the website, check yes. it out, read through it, get informed, start with your primary care provider, let them go ahead and do an, an initial workup, see you know if they think that it warrants a referral or not. Don't just sit with the information and sit paralyzed in fear. Yeah, like every other disease in the world, hiding from it, waiting, hoping it goes away if you ignore it, that's just not good for anybody. And it's just amazing how many people do that with a lot of things. Absolutely. Um, but this one ain't going away. Um, so thank you so much, Dolan, for coming on. I have said this to you. I have said it to Bob numerous times. Uh, he lucks out so much by finding you. He just did. And I know he's watching. You know you lucked out. I love you, my brother. Thank you so much, Laura. Love you too. And love you too. Thank I will you for talk to you. I love it. Talk to you tomorrow. With just about a minute left. Uh, wow, what a great episode. Uh, and I'm not saying that just because she's a relative. This is something that affects, it affects us all. Um, I, I'm not going to lie and, and tell you that when I'm in the middle of a, of a speech on something and I literally have to look at my laptop or maybe over my shoulder um, at my PowerPoint presentation to remind me where I am, that it doesn't give me a twinge of worry. Um, of course, having Laura in the family you know, helps, uh, you know, helps that a lot. 
but it's something we all think about. Um, and, and this was just a great show. I, I, I urge all of our listeners, uh, if you have any questions about this, doubts about yourself, family, loved one, uh, please go to Laura's website, again, www.compassionateeducation.com. If you don't go to Laura's website, go to someone's website, but ask the questions. With 10 seconds left, uh, we are going to be having some incredible shows. I mentioned last week we are retooling again here at 62 Who Knew, and it's going to be very exciting. Three seconds left. Thank you so much, Nader and I. We'll see you next week. Your website. I don't know. Wow. Um, I, I know we're going to be doing that.